Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, welcome to the Yowie Shelf. Grab a seat and relax. If you are video uh, viewing, firstly, I'm sorry, it is 7 a.m. here, but you may notice this podcast is approximately like 50 times uh, more intelligent and more beautiful because (laughs) we have a special guest with us today. Uh, You know, this is a topic Crow and I want to talk about. We're talking about fetishization of gay men. And, you know, both of us wanted to talk about this and it always felt a little bit out of our depths. So when we decided that we were going to go and get a guest for it, we uh, swung for whatever sports metaphor you want. And we managed to land an absolute superstar in Dr. Thomas Badenet. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I think it's been a long time coming in some regards. <laughs> it has been. Um, Dr. Thomas and I were on a K-pop and erotica chat a mm. while ago. And I spent that entire chat using every intelligent word I could, hoping to impress you. <laughs> if you've ever seen like jumping spider like peacock spiders dance that was me with like intersectional orientalism like i'm just like using every big word i can <laughs> oh my goodness but um yeah this has been a long time coming we're both so excited yes uh, we have messaged back and forth like can we ask academics to sign their books like autographs <laughs> uh, um i, I mean I think so. Uh, to be fair, um, I remember I got Mark McClelland, who, who wrote actually one of the first academic papers um, on Boys Love or Yowie, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I got him to sign a copy of his book when I met him for the first time, which I, oh. I still keep in my office, which is um, nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so if we're ever in the same space, sure, why not? Heck yes. We well, yeah. uh, So... You know, I feel like I could not properly explain the wonder and beauty that is Dr. Thomas. Would you like to tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Um, I'll, I'll do the usual spiel, I guess, like the <laughs> professional spiel. Um, so I'm uh, Dr. Tom Burnett. Um, I'm a senior lecturer in Japanese studies and international studies at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia, where I teach and research into the Japanese studies and Asian studies streams. Um, I'm a cultural anthropologist, so I do research on representations of um, queer sexuality in the pop culture of East and Southeast Asia. Um, Previously, I've done research on representations of masculinity in gay media in Japan, and this has led me to a broader interest in representations of queer sexuality in the transnational Asian popular culture form known as boys love particularly my research has been focusing on thailand um i came to this because i am also a fan um so i've been consuming boys love since i was what 14 i think was when i first first engaged with it um and i'm also a massive keen fan of k-pop which has led me into the wild world of um, kind of K-pop idol shipping, which I also yes. research. So, you know, I have too many fingers and too many pies. Literally both of Likewise. us. <laughs> <laughs> you are always, in... Yeah. You're always yeah, telling you... me to get and stop fingering pies. <laughs> what did I say about being weird in front of I already screwed that up before we even started recording. So at this point, I'm just like... We're just full weird. Uh, <laughs> So, like we said, we figured if we're going to talk about this, that isn't just going to be an hour and a half of us screeching, because that would be this episode without Dr. Tom. It's just an hour and a half of us screeching. Uh, we figured, let's get someone in who can really talk about this stuff, uh, which is, again, fetishization of gay men. Um, this is an argument that if you're in the BL 
particularly in the Yaoi space with pro-ship, anti-ship, and even just further conversations, you've probably seen thrown around a lot. Yeah. It's actually something that I listened back to the old show we've been talking about since episode one, which is two years ago. This is an argument that has popped up recently. It's very zeitgeisty. Um, it's definitely something that we never thought about when we were all coming into Yaoi too many years ago. <laughs> too <laughs> the long ago. You, yeah. Yeah. When the dinosaurs were still roaming. <laughs> Let's not like think about time. So <laughs> time doesn't exist. It's fine. I feel like I've been talking about this topic for years and it just never yeah. left up. I'm so tired. Yeah. Um, so I, I yeah. feel that in my bones. Um, because I think that in in most um kind of spaces where I'm, you know, talking about this stuff, whether it be writing for academic journals, teaching mm -hmm. it in my classrooms, having mm -hmm. conversations with with just fans or, or people who don't know a lot about the subculture, it is something that comes up a lot. And I think it comes up a lot for, for reasons that I would say aren't necessarily negative ones, because people do mm -hmm. have a strong commitment to um, what I would call good representation or yeah. maybe what we could call good politics. The mm -hmm. problem that I have with it is that it generally kind of devolves into a conversation about authenticity um, and what mm -hmm. is and is not authentic is always a very loaded kind of area of debate. Mm -hmm. and also um, in the space around kind of conversations about boys love as a popular culture form that historically emerges out of women's popular culture. But mm -hmm. as my research as well as the research of others has kind of concluded is, is much more broadly consumed across a range of people of, along the kind of LGBTQ um, plus ally rainbow, you know, mm -hmm is that, it's, that there's a lot of misogyny wrapped up also in, in the, the kind of fetishization debate, you know, that the, these straight girls going gaga over boys kissing is, is, a, is actually a very misogynistic kind of dismissal of, um, you know, women's desires and, and exploration of sex. And, and boys love, historically in Japan, that's where it emerges from. It emerges mm -hmm. in the 1970s as a, as a space for women who did not necessarily have space to explore mm -hmm. their sexual attraction in a way that was safe. So mm -hmm. that, that's, that's yeah, I, I am kind of sick of it, but at the same time, I understand where the debate comes from. And that's why I'm always willing and, and able in my scholarship and, and mm -hmm. also these kinds of conversations, as well as my, my you use the word screeching and I do that a lot on Twitter, I think, you know. <laughs> you do not. You do not. On Twitter, I do this all the time. Like, I, I will re routinely post my my little tweet summarizing, you know, this isn't fetishization or this is, this is like, we need to look at this beyond simple um, binaristic thinking of bad good or, you know, simply only thinking about something as queer baiting mm -hmm. without considering the, the kind of context in which it was produced or... Mm -hmm. or the politics of its reception. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's something that is debated with good cause, but I am a little bit tired of the debate. Also, I'd like the record yeah. to state if what you consider what you do is screeching, we're just eldritch, like guttural noises. <laughs> yeah. We read your tweets. It is not screeching. It is. Look, my, my, my screeching is often um, in, in my DMs. I, I yes, okay. That, that I can, I think, our screeching is a little bit more like at Discord. <laughs> yeah, but I also enjoyed uh, at Fujocom the panel that you did. That that one kind of diverged into a lot of screeching, but that was really fun. I really enjoyed that. It was but academic screeching, but but it was fun yeah, to see not, you that really not our screeching. Like, yeah, no, not like <laughs> this was there, there was a one about K-pop, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. It's all kind to... of a blur because yeah, I was oh up gosh, everything's days. a blur for me yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fujokan yeah. really was a fever dream. Yeah, <laughs> it was fun I think, though. I think I stopped. My brain stopped when we started saying banana fist, and then <laughs> <laughs> and everyone found out that I was simping for Shao Tucker from Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, that was a <laughs> that was a new low point in our in our history. <laughs> I am surrounded by Dobby and overhaul plushies. You don't get to tell me what my low point is. I have an emotional support arsonist. 
it's okay. <laughs> I realized when I got dressed today and I put this shirt on that I look like Vegas. And I'm like, okay, you know what? No. <laughs> so I didn't do it on purpose. So Dr. Tom uh, brought up a bunch of great points that, again, this is why we brought him in, because you've summarized in a few minutes what we would have probably taken two and a half hours to half as eloquently say, <laughs> but that a lot of this is TBH rooted in misogyny, that mm. this is rooted in a lot of good points, which if you go to the pro-ship, anti-ship episode, we talk about that in some of our angst with that as well. That, unfortunately, a lot of this stuff is rooted in good points. Um, mm -hmm. And that, yeah, no one likes seeing women have fun. But there's also, and I'm so glad you brought this up. Because, again, pointing back to the Fujin Pipeline episode. Yaoi and BL is not just consumed by a bunch of cishet women screaming mm -hmm. over boys kissing. There are those people there. But increasingly, Fujin are queer are trans, are non-binary, are everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you know, one of the things that I all, always think is important to to remember as well, especially when we think about the Japanese context, is that for many, um, you know, the, of the initial fans of, of what was known as Shonen Ai when it first emerged mm -hmm. in the 70s, um, you know, this this the, the attraction to male male love or, or boys love or yaoi or whatever you want to call it was was an inkling in themselves for a queerness in their desires that they couldn't articulate in a society mm -hmm. in which there was no way to articulate the fact mm -hmm. that they may not be straight if you will and, and yeah. like i remember a viral tweet a few maybe a few weeks or maybe even a month or two ago that was about like you know one of the things that this anti straight women kind of discourse around um you know bl as fetishization neglects is mm -hmm. that for many people who were ostensibly straight women when they got into this they're not straight women now and that yep. BL is actually part of that journey <laughs> um, and, and likewise exactly. it's true it's true of men as well um, and even there's a fantastic book who I can't remember who the author is right now, but uh, in, in Japanese about straight men who read Boys Love and, and mm -hmm. like engage with it meaningfully. And, and the, the fact of the matter is that Boys Love as a genre is more than just this kind of space in which girls, het girls, simp over hot boys fucking. Mm -hmm. It's so much more than that. Yeah. Um, I think about the research I've done with gay men in Japan for whom boys love represents an, a more authentic and or and, and accessible image of romance within, mm. within within a gay media culture that is hypersaturated with with highly uh, kind of pornographic representations of, of masculinity and, and gay male culture and they so they these Japanese gay men kind of turn to boys love and mm. and like that that's a very real thing likewise um the huge popularity of thai boys love series across mm -hmm. the world is driven very strongly by engagement from um same-sex attracted men and and like i i just think that it's really problematic if we just lock bl up into this box i i'm constantly saying in in my classes in my in my, I think I may have said this at FujoCon, um, you know, we need to stop talking about BL as if it's still the 1990s, because the fact of the matter is yeah. things have progressed well beyond what happened in the 1990s in Japan was the famous, what's called the Yaoi Ronso, or the yeah, Great Yaoi Ronso. Yaoi Debate, in which a gay male activist criticized Yaoi as fetishization. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that became a big issue that was debated over three years in this this feminist magazine called Choisir. But the fact of the matter is that the boys love industry has responded to that moment mm -hmm. and developed. And, and now you've got like the author of the Cherry Magic um, manga, like using her manga to kind of talk about same-sex marriage and the need for it to be legalized in Japan. There you go. Mm -hmm. Like, Christo, there's politics in my boys' love. The idea that it's just some kind of fantasy wish fulfillment space, not to mention mm -hmm. all of the recent kind of um, politics that we're seeing in, in Thai BL kind mm -hmm. of culture, which I'm constantly, once again, screeching about on Twitter. <laughs> like, um, so, so, like, 
I, I think that these these are the things that I always like to raise is that that some of these anti BL stances actually mm-hmm. come from a place of remarkable ignorance. They don't understand mm-hmm. the genre. They don't understand the history of the genre, and they don't understand the fandom and and the the ways in which people engage with the fandom and the kinds mm-hmm. of fans that are gathered there. Mm-hmm. And and like it, it's very frustrating to me how the same sorts of arguments are consistently recirculated without mm-hmm. any kind of critical reflection. And, and this is kind of boils down into this notion of fetishization, which is a term mm-hmm. that I find is used in very problematic ways by people yes. who don't really understand what it is they're talking about. Yes. yes. No, absolutely. Um, so I kind of refer to it, this, might, this is a very, very old reference, but I'm like the dog whisperer, when he would go like, and like, shut the dog down. Like, that to me is, like, what fetishization has become, like, with cultural appropriation. Like, there's, like, a bunch of, like, loaded, like, SJW terms Mm -hmm. that now are just, like, that Caesar Milan, like, like, you shut down the conversation because now there's no way, really, to react with it meaningfully. Because even Mm -hmm. if you do, you're you're proving the point. I'm using air quotes for the listener only. Um, You're brilliant. I'm trying not to simp too hard. It's also very, very... Um, actually, I mentioned at the start of this conversation, um, mm-hmm. my, my late colleague, uh, Professor Mark McClelland, who, who mm-hmm. unfortunately passed away last year. Um, and he actually, in, in the latter stage of his research, was working on how, like, scholars of Japanese popular culture, which may have um, contentious content such as, you know, um, you know, very problematic depictions of sexualized children, boys love, mm-hmm. etc. And how um, if you are a scholar of such work, you are often painted as if you are somehow an apologist for that yeah. work by mainstream society or mm-hmm. by people who think of it as a problem, that you can't talk about these things without being tainted by yeah. association. Mm-hmm. Um, there's almost a chilling effect. Likewise, you cannot advocate for the positivity of boys love in a space in which boys love fandom is always already constructed as some kind of ethical problem. Um, And this is my frustration that you raise around this idea of like, you use the word, if you use the word, you're just a fetishizer, then of course your, your legitimacy to speak is immediately nullified because you are part and parcel of the problem that the person is projecting um Mm -hmm. now is all boys love good representation no 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 (laughs) good representation like no exactly like so so no no media is without its problems are all fans like kind of are there there fans that are delusional and maybe take things too far of course there are but that's true of all fandom and that's Mm -hmm. true of all people the fact of the matter is that most fans and I'm, i'm working on a paper that uses um, K-pop idol shipping as a space to explore this. Um, and actually, I, I did speak about this at FujoCon, um, was, was, is this idea of like how fans reflectively and critically engage with these ethical questions like we are today is mm-hmm. actually really fundamental because mm-hmm. by working through the ethics and sitting there thinking, hang on, can I do this and how can I do this safely and correctly? What are my limits? Um, that's really the the most powerful ethical thing that can be done. And that means that, you know, for some people, they'll work out what is and is not appropriate. And I think that that's much more powerful and useful. Um, I mentioned to you guys off, off the recording that I, I work in, in the porn study space as well. Mm-hmm. These debates exist around pornography as well. Absolutely. Pornography consumed with reflection and critically is much less perhaps problematic than pornography that is consumed and and just taken at face value. Mm -hmm. Of course, that doesn't say that pornography doesn't have problematic representational politics, because once again, it Mm -hmm. does, but that's because everything potentially can. So this idea of fetishization, fetishization has just become, um, academically, we call it an empty signifier, a word that is devoid of meaning, but that is used strategically um, to shut down the conversation in this instance. Um, and it's really quite bizarre because the actual use of the term fetishization, when it derives from in, in sociological theory, 
um, and in the work of Karl Marx, which is where it comes from, is is about like alienation and and being removed from the the kind of um, I don't want to sound too Marxist. Um, being from the yeah the the use value of, of something and and mm-hmm. this, this is significant because if we're actually talking about the true debate that needs to be had, it's not about whether something's fetishization or not. It's about whether things are being consumed critically or not. And my position is that most fans consume critically. And that's certainly been my experience as I've been meeting fans and consumers over many, many, many years is that people, I mean, fans are so invested into what they do that they're going to think about it. That's the point. Yeah. So, So, yeah, this idea that they're somehow like all oh, these stupid girls going gaga over boys, you know, kissing and like they don't understand that this isn't reality. Bullshit. Of course they know what it is because they understand that for some it's a fantasy space and for others it's a, it's an opening up to an understanding of a world that they had no idea existed yeah. and then leads them to learn more. Hmm. That's a good thing. Yeah, and we talk about this a lot in, uh, we talk about it a lot, and I talk about it a lot with some of my creator friends who live in more conservative countries where, you know, they can't buy BL manga because they can't import it because it's illegal and they don't learn about other sexualities and gender orientations and any of those things, but they are picking it up through manga. You know, it's such a, you're still learning and then it expands from there. So that's such a huge, that's such a good point. Yeah, that I mean, is. I, I, yeah, I've I've had that experience with research I've been doing in the Philippines for a number yeah. of years now. That that like BL is this space where like I I, I don't know how many people have told me, um, including straight women, uh, and I use the <laughs> people listening not watching the video. I use scare quotes there, um, like straight women who suddenly found out that they're not so straight because of boys' love. Like, and that's whole episode dedicated to that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. it's because, like, there isn't any representation outside mm. of, yeah. like, in, in mainstream culture. Or if there is, it's it's problematic representation. Yeah. Whether it be painting same-sex attracted men, and it's never same-sex attracted women because in these cultures they just don't exist. Yeah. Um, but same-sex attracted men as, as dangerous or comedic or... Mm-hmm in the gay media that is circulating in that country, it could be hyper-masculine. And, and mm-hmm. for some people, that's not des- desirable. I mean, in the Japanese context, I wrote a whole book about the problematic politics of hyper-masculinity in Japanese gay culture yeah. and, and the very negative effects it has on people. And boys' mm-hmm. love within that context is much more queer, if you want to use that word, than the the kind of gay media that actually just reinscribes the norms of dominant masculinity and in that sense boys love is more powerful in in some regards and and like that 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 might be quite a a radical thing and and there'll be some people who as i said will just dismiss me as well he's a fan and you know that's what he's Mm -hmm. saying but this isn't my argument this is the argument of the people i interviewed right yeah so so this is the the thing that i think is important that i always want to add is that yes there is no like kind of blanket good or bad or yes no it's not black or white mm-hmm. nothing is no and no. i i want to i want to echo what you said cuz it made me think when you talk about how there is no representation of queer females in a lot of these spaces mm-hmm. and particularly mm-hmm. in the past i'm thinking about you know when they when they coined the term yuri the the yuri zoku mm-hmm. because they were the lesbians were reading the gay magazines and they mm-hmm. were writing into the columns because there were no spaces for them. They had to go to the male gay mm-hmm. spaces in order mm-hmm. to find their equals, their peers. Yeah, and, and you look at the the kind of like some of the, the biggest names in, in Japanese boys love scholarship like Mizuguchi Akiko who, mm-hmm. who talks about how she became a lesbian through reading yeah. boys love and, and this has led her to, to theorize wonderfully how the, the 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 fujoshi or the fujin can operate as its own sexual orientation um, outside of the the kind of hetero homo binary, which I think oh, is I love that. quite a, a radical kind of way of reading it. That book's in Japanese, but she's currently working on the English version. So yes. soon, so she promises. Is... Last oh, time I you... 
uh, she promises that it will be out soon, which is great. New sexuality just dropped. Yeah, new sexuality <laughs> just dropped. Uh, so there's a bunch of things that I wanted to pinpoint on. Uh, mm-hmm. My brain is processing at approximately 15% of its normal power because it is 7.35 in the morning. Um, <laughs> Thank but- you for your service. Anything for Dr. Thomas. That's literally in my planner. It was that's our motto. And I'll sleep when I'm dead. But um, also, <laughs> one, thank you for liberating small 14-year-old Fujin trash me. Because I was probably one of those kids that people were pointing at when they say that Yaoi is all fetishization. But thinking back on it, yeah, we were always critically engaging with this stuff. We have been critically engaging with this stuff. We did an episode on gravitation and we ended up, of course, talking about you know, we ended up, of course, talking about Yoshiki Kitazawa and how bad Mm -hmm. trans representation that was. And we've been saying that, you know, we as a fandom and then just like me and Corolla respectively we've been saying that for Chet's notes a decade mm-hmm. that is not a new conversation that is no. not a new thought that we had mm-hmm. so thank you for kind of like liberating mm-hmm. and helping me because you know doing this podcast has really made me relook at that younger version of myself mm-hmm. and for a little bit and this is angst i don't talk about but <laughs> you know yes. looking back at the younger self is once again an example of what I'm talking about. Is is that that reflexivity that is central to to ethical engagement with this sort mm-hmm. of medium? Because one of the things that I'm really quite concerned about, particularly in in social justice call out culture, and I don't want to make me. I'm not saying this as if I'm some kind of right wing nut job, but what I mean I is is that. But if you tried. <laughs> I mean, I just quoted Marx. Anyway, um, but what I what I what I mean to say is, is like you know, there's this this kind of belief is like if you made a mistake in the past, you'll always be held accountable for it, as if we can't learn or grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact of the matter is that you know, I've I've met through the course of my research. Um, people who who you know consuming boys love didn't necessarily give them the best knowledge of, mm. of certain things, um, and like they grew like they they moved on from that and and that that like that's the process of of critical reflexivity and that's the process of 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 boys love as a as a space of exploration um Mm -hmm. for playing around with with notions of sexuality but also playing around with notions of who you are um Mm -hmm. and and what you like and where you sit in the world And, and like i think that some of the debate which focuses too much on once again this notion of authenticity um what is authentic and authentic to whom because yeah. one of the, the arguments that i i most dislike and and this comes from my research as well is the idea that within the context of, of kind of japanese popular culture that boys love is bad representation because created for and by head girls versus mm-hmm. bada or what is actually more appropriately referred to as gay komi in japan is more appropriate because it's written by and for gay men neglects two things one some of the boys love manga that are supposedly written by women are written by gay men writing under mm-hmm. female pseudonyms and mm-hmm. likewise some of the butter gay komi that is apparently written by um gay men is written by women under male pseudonyms it's just mm-hmm. a process of, of um like that's a, a norm of the manga industry um mm-hmm. the butter fanboy's favorite example of authentic gay male representation got his start writing boys love um in june uh and like he's never been too anti-bl he was he had a little bit of a moment where he kind of seemed that he was going that way but not anymore um, got over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah which is partly because he moves in the right circles um yeah. and, and was educated about what he misunderstood because he wasn't necessarily involved. And also he's not mm-hmm. an idiot. So, um, <laughs> so the, thing is, the thing is that like the argument that Bada is good, authentic representation versus BL being bad, authentic, um, inauthentic representation based on the gender and sexuality of the author mm-hmm. neglects the fact that Bada is itself a, a, a type of fantasy and mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the fantasy held by everyone. In my book, I, you know, I explore this a little bit with how there are gay men for whom boys' love feels more authentic 
but then there are gay men who do prefer butter and like it's not that one is more correct than the other and certainly not based on the gender and sexuality of the author because the most important kind of meaning making process when it comes to text is the reader right so like yeah what the yeah. reader brings to the the text is is much more important and and then trying to police access to kind of representations of queerness based on the identity of the reader is just bizarre to me because that is the kind of purity culture that queer theory and queer activism has been fighting against for decades and i am actually as well as many other scholars such as my, you know, in my field, like we're really quite worried about the rise of a, of a kind of purity culture yeah. in a new generation of-, of We are very worried about it. It's terrifying like, actually. Because like, why, why are you, like why push back against like everything that queer studies and queer activism fought against? Like we don't need to reinscribe heteronorms. That's mm. bad neoliberal thinking. Um, and, and some of this, like, I, I was quite struck once by an informant of mine in the Philippines mentioning when we were talking about, you know, gay men dismissing um, BL as, uh, actually, it was K-pop idol shipping, but once again, part and parcel of the same phenomenon, mm -hmm. um, dismissing it. And she's like, well, actually, that's heteronormative backlash. Um, she's like, that that's someone trying to police queerness and the queer desires of women um, because they're saying that what I do is unethical. Mm -hmm. uh, partly because they don't want me to ship idols together within a, a world that is heteronormative, K-pop fandom, um, mm -hmm. but they also want me to explore queerness. Um, and I thought that, that was quite striking. And I, I still like think that from some perspectives, um, it's important to note that, that queer people themselves can be imbricated in, in, in heteronormative control. And this yeah. purity culture is part of, parcel of that because it's about realigning queer experience to the, the kind of heteronormative norms of, of kind of mainstream society. And, and hence, I do think of this backlash and this kind of argument of fetishization as, as kind of limiting desire and, and, and limiting yes. ways that are very much no, absolutely and well. you know yeah. for me really being heavily of a part of the american convention scene i mm. see that everywhere and then mm. conversely in being lgbtqia plus in america in texas yeah. i'm seeing I know I struggle every day. <laughs> I struggle every day. You know, we're seeing a lot more no kink at pride. Pride mm. should be a family friendly event. And I'm like, there were no kids at Stonewall when they were throwing bricks. What yeah. are you talking about? And it's there, like there wasn't a toddler with a brick at Stonewall. What do you mean there should be kids at Pride? I, like, and I mean, no. I, I'm in Norway and we are, yeah, you know, yeah. we, we have things that we need to work on. But we are we are a progressive country, you know, yeah. we have a we have a very high level of equality, but we're also mm -hmm. seeing this. We're also seeing mm -hmm. that there are more and more voices that are being led into the media that are concerned, air quotes, yeah. about, you know, the children and pride being taught in schools and trans ideology and all of these things and it's all interconnected and i and we're always talking about how this is like i mean there's the, the there's the conservative and and the puritanical puritanical that whole movement but also mm -hmm. that people are lacking they're like lacking queer history and they're also lacking yeah. fandom history yeah and we talk about this all the time on this podcast constantly yeah. Um, and I really want to go into a point that, you know, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of us aren't straight anymore or really we're never mm -hmm. straight. And, um, I remember having this conversation actually in our discord where someone had kind of said, you know, well, why mm -hmm. do you guys like Yowie and boys love, you know, mm -hmm. is this fetishizing gay men? Is this fetishization? Are you fetishizers? Like, which mm -hmm. again, Firstly, want to say how horribly disarming of a comment that is. Like, mm -hmm. there's no, you've basically just said, everything I love is bad. You've looked yeah. at my child and said they're ugly mm -hmm. and they're horrible. Yeah. So one, a horrible, if you want to authentically engage, which I don't think all of them want to. No, they don't. They're trying to 
But if you're trying to authentically engage with someone, accusing them of fetishization, chief, it ain't it. And then having to almost like painfully go over, well, one, I'm not straight. Two, Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely a woman. I'm gender fluid. Mm -hmm. And three, one of the big reasons I like boys love is because I've been traumatized by men. And I high-key find a lot of the portrayals of hetero romance to be very triggering and very upsetting because mm-hmm. it's nothing but rape allegories and mm-hmm. older men lusting after high schoolers. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I find a lot of power in boys' love because, again, not straight, not always a woman, and Western media uh, depicting hetero relationships are... Checks notes, hot trash. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, what what two things um, are, are raised by this anecdote. First of all, is how this claim of you're a fetishizer or this question. It's a bad faith act because yes. you you can't like you're immediately needing to defend yourself. Yes. Um, there's no way like it forces you into something, and then you need to prove your credentials. Mm-hmm. So you need to list out that I am X, Y, Z, as opposed to just saying, this is something I enjoy and get meaning from. Right. Um, and, and like my, my flip side to this argument, whenever students uh, raise this in my classes, um, so I teach BL in my classes, um, and like a student will always inevitably bring it up. Like, mm-hmm. um, and then I would ask them, do gay men fetishize um, straight couples when they watch a, romance, a rom-com? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like, no, and like, so why not? Why, why? Well, what if that rom-com was written by and directed by a gay actor, like a gay director? Mm-hmm. Is that fetishization? Why is it like, you know, so once again, like, I want to flag that I understand that the, the debates come from a good place. They Maybe. come from a concern with the fact that historically media has not necessarily represented same-sex attracted men in the best mm-hmm. light mm-hmm. True, boys love as a genre you you mentioned rape allegories i mean boys love has the very problematic trope of rape me until i love you yeah. but they so, get so that, much but they so get much. that from mm-hmm. romance fiction that's where that comes mm-hmm. from thank you <laughs> yes it's not unique to no. boys love it's, it's actually no. it's part and parcel of a of a, a tendency that exists, particularly within shoujo manga culture. Thank you. Of, of like rape as a, as a kind of dark fantasy. And, and yes. it, it's, it's explored and historicized wonderfully by my colleague, Mori Naoko, in this fantastic book in Japanese called um, Ona wa Porno o Yomu, which means women <laughs> read porn. Um, and yeah. like, it is the, basically, it's, it's this kind of idea that by depicting a forbidden act it releases Mm -hmm. the tensions that women experience living within a patriarchal world you can actually control Mm -hmm. um kind of misogyny and 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 transform it into a space of play i mean if i want to use another example this is the whole 50 shades of gray phenomenon no you know that's a terrible book but it's the same sort of thing no it is. is the thing is that like boys love has this tendency in it with like historical roots right there's a reason but the other thing is that the argument that boys love is fetishization look at all the rape there's lots of rape in gay porn there's lots of rape in gay erotica especially japanese gay erotic manga it's extraordinarily rapey so once again this idea that it's inauthentic because of the rape fantasies collapses if we look at it historically so this idea of like needing to historicize is, is part and parcel, once again, of that broader critical engagement. So if fetishization, I guess we can loosely define as consuming something without engaging with it critically, then yes, that's a problem. But I don't believe that most people are engaging critically or acritically, sorry. Mm-hmm. But I think that the thing that people forget is that it's a journey. You, like, you develop your, your consumption over time and... Yeah, these, these people who ask, like, are you a fetishizer then? Like, that that's like a bad... They've already made their judgment. You're not going to be able mm-hmm. to convince them. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, there's no way to be able to defend against that meaningfully. And it's, and it's frustrating because, 
you know, it does also feel like, and I see this a lot, and I'd love to get your input on this, it does sometimes feel like a bit of a no true Scotsman fallacy a little bit, where mm -hmm. I especially see it coming from gay men lobbed at people they perceive to be women or at women, sort of like, almost like a girl boss gatekeep thing, mm -hmm. that it's like, we should keep you dirty women out of our BL fort mm -hmm. because... This is ours. This is for us. You go read, I don't know, whatever girls read. It does feel like like certain that like some gay men now are building like these like elaborate pillow forts hmm. and now saying like, you dirty girls, you get out of our boys' love. You've had it for too long. Mm -mm. And going back to your point about misogyny, you know, it, it mm -hmm. really does feel like that because, you know, if you went back Yes, there was this argument years ago, but we weren't saying this at 14. We mm -hmm. didn't have anyone on Live Journal or Zanga or DeviantArt saying, are you a fetishizer? We'd say, mm -hmm. yeah, of course we are. And mm -hmm. not <laughs> and not know what that means. We didn't so know that think, word yeah. when we were 14. We did not. <laughs> <laughs> the, the scary thing is that a 14-year-old now would... Well, they'd know the yeah. word, they just wouldn't know what it means. Um, so... <laughs> This, this idea of like how this, this kind of debate links into misogyny, I think is really mm -hmm. important. Um, mm -hmm. Partly because when I, I mentioned the Yawi Ronso, um, like that, that emerged in that feminist magazine, the, the activist who, who initially began the, the Ronso around the, like the, the fetishization of, of mm -hmm. um, boys love, his name was Sato Masaki. Um, and, and some of the people who wrote back to him, including, you know, fans and feminists and so forth, they, they, they responded by saying that actually there's misogyny in, in some of your assumptions here. Mm -hmm. um, though there were many people who also took took to, to heart the, the, the central criticism that he had of the, the fact that the, the, the couple, the depiction of couples in Boys Love are not necessarily representative of real lived experience and that um, boys love as a genre at that moment in time didn't necessarily engage with political questions, which is not quite true. Um, but but at that time, you know, the Japanese gay um, rights movement was really kind of heating up. So mm -hmm. when he said not engaging in politics, he meant kind of Euro-American style, mm. like identity politics rather than addressing questions of discrimination and, and so forth creatively through art, mm. how art can be radical as boys love was. So I think that this is, this is the thing for me is that nowadays I, I very much do believe that there's a, a strong misogyny involved in this and, and that it is a gatekeeping activity. Um, and, and my colleague and I, who works at Ateneo de Manila university, her name is Christine Santos, Kirsten, mm. Santos. Um, she and I are working on a paper exploring the misogynistic backlash against BL in the oh, Philippines, um, particularly amongst um, kind of gay male commentators and creators and those working within the media industry, mm -hmm. um, because there was a per pervasive discourse that emerged in 2020, which is when Pinoy BL became a thing in reaction mm -hmm. to popularity of the Thai boys love series together um, pro Rao Kugan and um, there was this discourse of as gay male creators we will fix boys love and make it more real we'll make it great again yeah and, and God. what they meant by that was it was no longer boys love um, like mm. So the best Pinoy BL series, um, such as, for example, Game Boys, the series, and Gaia Sapelicula, even though Gaia Sapelicula has a very problematic author, but we'll just set that aside, um, actually were successful because they embraced what Boys Love could do, mm. right? And, and used the norms of the genre. Now, the norms of the genre that they have learned through Thai examples, which had already fiddled with the, the golden noble path of the... Japanese manga a little bit, but nevertheless, they were, they didn't try and fix BL. So now you have all these gay male creators or queer women who write Western um, cartoons that get turned into Netflix series saying that they're fixing, fixing the genre. Um, I wasn't going to mention it, but uh, I wasn't going to say Jack or shit. I was about about Heartstopper and my annoyance with it. 
Um, look, cute show. Is it revolutionary? No, mm. Asia's been doing this for 30 years. <laughs> this whole episode, just, yeah. like the series is over. There's no more Yaoi shelf after this. You solved all the problems. <laughs> Thank like, you. Like, there's no way now. Like, we're going to do Corolla's anniversary episode. The series is over. Like, we're done. You, <laughs> you literally covered all the points. Because you're right. Like, and that's something, you know, that me, especially mm -hmm. as an American Fujin, that I have been dealing a lot with is that. You know, not to say that Corolla does not experience fan issues, but it is a little different here yeah, it know, is. in the U.S. It's a, it's a smidgen different where Worse. we see this different, yeah. you know, where we see this stuff a lot. And then again, you get this no true Scotsman fallacy from people who aren't even from Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. you're seeing it increasingly from I and mean, not just, you know, like cis, het, white women like Tumblr, but like from, you know, people that should be with us that are on the other side of the table because mm. at least for the longest time because we just talked about identity politics and tumblr uh, in our last episode where mm. at least when it was you know the cishet white female activist who was talking over black and brown people and queer people you know mm. that was a perceived enemy that we could all rally against now it's people that should be with us mm. it's gay men it's trans men it's mm -hmm. pro-ship, anti-ship bullshit that, you know, again, has some very valid points mm -hmm. that we should talk about that no one's talking about. Instead, we're just going to dox women for liking fictional characters. Mm -hmm. you know, it's so this is, this is the thing that, that frustrates me about the way the debate is playing out, particularly on social media right now, yes. is that, that it isn't turning into a space of conversation. No. It's turning into a space of screaming at each other um, or yeah. all the point one group of people screaming at another group of people who have to defend yes. themselves. Yes. Um, and like, and it is very aggressive and it is yeah. like, if my, my central argument that I've been sharing with you guys tonight, tonight, my time, <laughs> um, obviously morning, your time um, <laughs> is that, if we're all able to talk things through and reflect, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. it allows us to actually come to terms with the ethics and come mm -hmm. to terms with the potential problems. Like, mm -hmm. so the, the fact that there are problematic representations of male-male couples in some manga, um, mm -hmm. or the fact that there is sexualized representations of minors in some Japanese popular culture forms, or mm -hmm. that there are questions over what it means to ship a real person with another real person. Mm -hmm. Like if we can sit there and ethically debate that and determine what is and is not okay for us, mm -hmm. and then how we will express it mm -hmm. in ways that are safe um, mm -hmm. and cause no harm, mm -hmm. then surely we should be allowed to enjoy whatever it is that we allow uh consuming as long as it is meaningful to us and produces something mm -hmm. the idea that like the only harm that can be done as far as i'm concerned is harm that is done without thought yeah and, and like that includes for instance for me like i i would say that like sexualized representations of children are always wrong because yeah. the only people who are going to do that are the kinds of people who haven't thought about the ethics of doing so. So mm -hmm. if you think about the ethics of doing so, you will inevitably come to the conclusion that it is incorrect, like mm -hmm. that it is wrong because it causes harm. Yes. Right? So so this is, this is I, I think, the, the, the point is that ethical reflection is fundamental and mm -hmm. if it is only going to be like a useful debate is not, are you fetishizing this is how much have you thought about this and where do you stand? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that needs to happen is that people need to be expansive and accepting of opinions and experiences and value systems that are different to theirs. And that's the sticking point. Yeah, that because, is, that is isn't it? Yeah, people aren't necessarily willing or able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess, you know, in, in many ways, I've, I've spoken in quite fancy, expansive terms that can boil down into the phrase, one that I like to use all the time, never yuck someone's yum. And, and like, 
I think that that's a word, a, a, a thing to live by. As long as there's no harm being caused, mm -hmm. I'm talking about real harm, not perceived harm, then oh it should be okay. Thank you. Okay. So you're brilliant. <laughs> One, you're brilliant. Uh, simping intensifies. Perceived versus real harm. Thank you. And there's two things that I want to mention about that. Uh, Corolla gets excited whenever I mention this, but you know, like old Fujin culture was all naval combat. It was boats. And like, that's literally all we did is, yeah, if someone was really, really into Uchiha Sest and you weren't, you let them be on that boat. Yeah. That's their boat. And, you know, you just paddled on. You kept going. It's like, okay, that's their boat. We're not going to talk about that boat, but that's their boat. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of, of the old, like, live journal fan fiction kind of disclaimer, which has become almost like a, a joke now. Is like, don't like, don't read. Yeah. The thing is, that, was, yep. that, was the, that was the attitude that everyone had. It it's really like, was. And, 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 like, the whole idea of, for example, AO3's tagging system, which people don't seem to understand, is that you it use does. it so you don't engage with the things that you don't like. It's not that a billboard. Yeah. Like, no, we... we We've gone over, the, yeah, it's like, I'm the person who reads Dead Dove Do Not Eat, and I open the bag. And, and, and then you regret it. And then mm. I regret it. But I'm not yelling. You know what you're getting into. Yeah. But I'm not yelling at the creator. Exactly. But I'm not yelling at the creator. I'm not threatening the creator. I'm not doing any of those things. I'm the one that saw the bag that said Dead Dove Do Not Eat, and I still opened the fucking bag. That's on me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's not on the creator. The creator warned me. The creator said, "There's a dead dove in this bag," yeah. and you I, were like, and "I was like YOLO." <laughs> Open the bag. Like, but, uh, the question is, it's dead, yes, but how? How? Yeah, how, how, how dead? I'm morbidly curious. I need to <laughs> exactly. And I think the other thing that I was really, really uh, interested about you saying was. The, the perceived versus real harm. And really, like, that could be a whole other episode. It's, I I struggle to where we stop seeing fiction as fiction. Because mm -hmm. you're right, I totally agree with you. Is there, oh, that reminds me of the other point I want to bring up. But I want to touch base and say to all mm -hmm. of our listeners, perceived versus real harm. Where I did want to mention is, Again, where I come at, you know, as Western fan, and Corolla probably has this a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. Not to say that you aren't Western, wherever your country <laughs> is situated on the map, too close to Russia. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Sweden and Finland are in between, so we're we're doing good. Oh, you have some cushion, okay? Except um, the north, but we don't talk about that. But <laughs> that we're really only seeing this with BL and Yowie, mm -hmm. where there are still straight women who will read, like, gay erotica Omegaverse stuff, and no one's yelling at them. And really, they should be yelled at. Some of them should be yelled at. But it's Fujin. It's people like me and Corolla who are getting fussed at when Fifty Shades of Grey exists, when there's too many fucking Omegaverse novels written by horny yeah. housewives. And, oh. and again, you know, that age-old argument of you're not calling a crime fiction writer a murderer, so why is anyone writing gay fiction or BL a target? Why are we automatically encouraging yeah. and perpetuating whatever it is we're enjoying? I think for one one thing, when it comes to talking about the, the Japanese expand, like kind of expression of BL, from, from which many of this all falls out, I think, is, is that it also ties into... <clears throat> that broader weird Japan discourse. Mm -hmm. Japan God. is always already dangerous, sexually deviant and wrong and other. And hence any kind of, and, and also the, the idea that, that anime, and, an, anime and manga is, you know, this kind of perverse world of like tentacle rape and, mm -hmm. and so forth. And, and that, that if it comes out of the Japanese popular culture machine, then it must automatically be tainted by the, the evils of the quote-unquote land of child pornography, as mm -hmm. it has been called by the Guardian newspaper and CNN, right? So, like, this is, this is like, another element that is relevant to this discussion um, is this idea that um, anything that comes, like, there can be no authentic good representation coming out of a place like Japan because only 
like the, the 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 global north you know the west has a monopoly on good representation mm. because it is the space in which quote unquote queer rights have been most progressed and yeah, that okay. is nonsense especially like the the i i don't think any and i i apologize profusely but i don't think any american has any leg to stand on right now to argue around the progressiveness of the the american society because it's basically going to hell with a democratic president in charge okay right? listen yeah. none of us are happy about this he was literally the only choice versus a fascist yes I and know. the fascist packed the supreme court and now mm. we have a bunch of terrible people that will be here until they die i am my vote is sinkhole 2024 we just need mm. a sinkhole to open up and everyone goes away and we can do everything right again mm -mm. sinkhole 2024 <laughs> You can flee here. Come here. To abandon nationality. Like it's thousands of dollars to stop being an American. But um, so I, I love where you're going. But so here's something that I've seen a lot of is the call is coming from inside of the house. So yes, it has been that where, you know, I remember having to defend BL and Yowie from my aunts who were reading Zane novels, you know, because that's not porn. Zane isn't porn. No, but me and my Asian backwards boys kissing books are bad. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of Fujin, the call is coming from inside the house. Mm -hmm. It's again the pillow fort. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> it's here's this thing that really, again, especially in Western culture, has been fueled by women. It is women mm -hmm. that have the money. It is women who are doing the fan works. It is women who are doing the dojins. It mm -hmm. is women who are doing the work. And then suddenly, you know, three or four years ago, the, the gay men have decided, thank you for building the foundation of this house. You leave. There was a, mm -hmm. there was a comic that I saw that was related to kink at Pride. And it was this bear standing there. It was called Kink. And then there was a forest. And then the forest got cut down. And the bear mm -hmm. is still there. A house gets built. The bear is still there. Someone comes mm -hmm. out of the house. And the house is labeled Pride. It's like, oh no! Kink is at Pride! And it's like, the bear's been there. The bear's been there this whole time. You cut down the forest, and now you're shocked the bear is there. That's kind of what it feels like with women a little bit, and people yeah. who really aren't women, because again, we're not all women. Exactly <laughs> it's right. like, we built this house, we have we built the pillow fort, and now you're like poking us with a stick, <laughs> telling us to leave because we're fetishizers <laughs> now. Yes. I mean and, and this this is a I mean it, it I feel like we're almost rehashing the same arguments now. Like it's a lack of history. Like they just don't understand where things come from, um, and and it's patriarchy. So it is, so yeah. it's it's like well, men men like claim to a space because mm -hmm. men feel entitled to that space. Yeah. Um, and women get chucked out of that space because they aren't supposed to be in male controlled spaces in ways that shake the male control. So I think that one of the things that might be happening is partly a sense of almost threat on behalf of, of these very, very kind of rigid puritanical gay okay. white men um, okay. who, who don't want their neoliberal worlds to be rocked by anything that might be, you know, challenging. This is, this is, we're living in the era of, of, um, you know, seat of the tableism is 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 like I think about it. Is that mm. concession politics? We need to tidy the place up to make it look neat and clean, so yes. that we can be thrown the bone. Like, but I've always said, along with the most radical queer theorists, it's like we don't want a seat at the table. We want to fucking destroy the table because the table has excluded us for all of time. Why would we want to sit at the table which has? disadvantaged us mm -hmm. and and this is what really like concerns me and like i take your point that like these are arguments with people who should be allies and <clears throat> it's a lack of consciousness i think mm -hmm. a lack of consciousness amongst people who have had it i don't want to like shame the younger generations or anything but like it's a lack of responsibility easy. yeah it's a lack of, of consciousness of the struggles that other people have been through and it's a lack of historical consciousness and it's a lack of of the 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 hard battles that have been fought to get to where we are 
And yes. like that's why the complacency that we're seeing is now leading, for example, in the states to the erosion of of rights. Um, and like, yes, it may seem like a really, really quite large bow to draw between you know, fetishization debate over comic culture from Japan versus the overturn overturning of Roe v. Wade, but the fact of the matter is it's part of a broader global trend in which we are seeing the gains founded and fought through through radical activism being rolled back as people mm -hmm. are being imbricated into a neoliberal machine that is designed to remove any sense of kind of any sense of difference that may may change the status quo and, and that's what really makes me sad when i see these debates like rather than using it as an opportunity to open our minds and enter into these critically reflective ethical debates mm -hmm. that i i think is truly expansive we're seeing an almost fascist backlash in which people are being forced to think in particular ways because there is only one way that is right mm -hmm. and the one way that is right is a remarkably mainstream status quo conservative vision of this is what everyone and everyone is supposed to do to live in a productive safe society and that's like it, it, it's it, once again putting on my porn studies hat it was like when when we saw the the kind of unholy alliance between extreme right-wing christians and feminist activists at the end of the 80s and when they joined together in the states to rail against pornography yep. those people should have been enemies and they yet they worked together likewise we're seeing the same thing beginning to happen here um and it's the rise of turfdom it's the rise of, of this kind of really restrictive binaristic way of thinking um and i use the word fascist not in its political sense but in its more philosoph philosophical sense of like yes. a, enforcing a, a, a kind of corporatist one and like one minded mentality that does not allow any deviation. Um, and, and like this is really, it's really shocking to me how, how people are getting brought into this. And, and the thing that really makes me sad is that it is resuscitating debates that have been worked through already. And yes stuck in a perpetual cycle yes. like to go back to the start of what we were talking about about an hour ago you know like as i, I am sick of having this conversation in some regards as much as if you my, my research, because i feel like i'm screaming into the void um yep. Yep. and like no matter how many papers i write no matter how many like kind of podcasts i join no matter how many times i talk about this stuff I always seem to get the, but, but, you know, mm. I, I feel this way and you're wrong and like, you're clearly an apologist and blah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know what else to do. I've got to wrap up this episode because you've just eloquently like summed up everything that we could have said in two hours of screeching. Um, <laughs> and then some. Uh, again i'm trying to keep like the simp level low the espresso finally kicked in i think my my kind of caffeine is beginning to wear off don't worry we're <laughs> wrapping up you said now or i'm gonna do my best uh, we're gonna so, let you go to bed <laughs> yeah we're gonna let you go to bed uh i will say very briefly this is funny because when we were figuring out time differences because time differences are weird there were two mm -hmm. people that were going to inevitably lose and one person that was going to be okay. And in this instance, the two people that lose are me and Dr. Tom. And Corolla's sitting pretty at like 3 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> it actually is 3 p.m. So thank you from the bottom of our thank rotten so food and hearts for being here. No, thank, thank, you. thank you for, for having me. I, I mean, I say that I'm I'm tired of saying this, but at the same time, I do feel very passionately about all of this. Yeah. So of course I'm going to talk about it whenever I can. And, you know, again, we appreciate you saying all this stuff with eloquence. Cause again, if we had done this on our own, just two hours of screeching. Um, <laughs> it is, I guess, literally my job. <laughs> that is a great job to have. It's such a cool job. Um, if you would like to uh, receive more content like this and help us pay for nice gifts for our nice guests, because you will get your customary gift basket. Uh, Ooh. I don't you know, know, you... Like, 
Uh, you can help support us at patreon.com slash the Yaoi Shelf. Uh, Dr. Tom, is there any particular project that you'd like to uh, pitch, tell us about? Um, so I, I guess um, I, I should probably, I've been talking about my book, so I may as well just oh. do the, oh. look, here's a copy I had. Yes. You know. well, convenient. Um, so here's, my book. Oh, how convenient. Yeah, so here's one I prepared earlier. So um, this is my book, uh, Regimes of Desire, Young Gay Men, Media and Masculinity in Tokyo. You can get a copy of it if you're interested. Um, from either the publisher, University of Michigan Press, but it's also available uh, in all good bookstores um, online or, or otherwise. Also, next year, I have a new book coming out from Bloomsbury Academic called Boys Love Media in Thailand, Celebrity Fans and Transnational yes. Asian Popular Culture, um, in which a lot of what we've been talking about is, is written about much more thoroughly than in this book, where I think it's only about 10 pages. It's about boys love. Um, but it is there. <laughs> yeah, we will throw in all necessary links and descriptions below. Uh, we are all over social media at the Alley Shelf, including Instagram, Twitter, and we do have a Discord. Next month, it is Corolla's one-year anniversary. I let this gremlin in the house one year ago, and she refuses <laughs> to leave. And she has decided that we're going to talk about... Rare Pairs! She just wants to talk pairs. about Mirio and Tamaki yes, from... Yes my hero academia i probably i i can i'm gonna try to dig up some other rare pairs of mine but at the at the moment she's it's like not. i can only think about them. i love them she's so not, much she's not gonna try so we will <laughs> see you in a couple of weeks for our patreon episode Woo! and in a few more weeks for our live stream in which we will try to be as eloquent and charming as dr tom is um we will thank try you. we will try very hard <laughs> thank you all so much for being here so we will much. see you, you next one. bye Bye. Bye. <laughs>